0: So, Bob, I thought I would lob some balls over the plate for you in an easy fashion for you to hit out of the park in the form of questions from the listeners that are easy for you to answer and are interesting for you to answer. What do you say, Bob? Wow, I have an easy job. An honest patron says... Oh, no, wait. I already read that one. Uh Upper-tier patron Hannah from London says... Is it common to be more angry and resentful at a non-abusive parent than the perpetrating parent? I experienced extreme violence in my childhood. My father was violent. My mother would never defend me from the violence. Despite my dad being the perpetrator, I find that most of my residual anger and hurt is aimed towards my mom and not my dad. Is this common? I wonder if this is ingrained patriarchy where I blame my woman for not protecting me and let the man off the hook. Bob, what do you think?
1: You know, um, your situation is similar to mine growing up, but I never really had much anger at my mom for her not intervening on my behalf or the behalf of my sibs. She did to some degree, but but not really. Um but and, and I had a therapist, my my not my first my second therapist said to me once, Well, you gotta be angry with your mom for not and I'd never thought about it before. And I actually don't feel angry with her around that at all now. I have some problems with my mom, but they aren't around that. Um, I don't know what's common. We, do we have any data? I, I don't even know.
0: Anecdotally, it's very common. Uh, and I I would find it in all age groups, uh, kids included, where you would have a single mom who was doing her best and divorced an abusive husband and you know, the father of her kids. And the kids would look at Disneyland dad with admiration. Oh, and, right. And longing. Right. And, but the kids have a lot of trauma and it has to, go, has to go somewhere. And so it would go towards the mom. And the mom's like, how come I'm getting all the anger and the disobedience and the um, disdain mm-hmm. from these kids when I'm the better parent right. by far? And how come my ex husband is getting none of that, mm-hmm. and he's getting love and admiration and There are many conceptualizations of this. Sure. one is is that you, as a child, feels even as an adult child, feel safer yep. with the parent that you uh that is not abusive that and is safer yeah and 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 you have anger yeah, and you feel safer in the presence of the non-abusive parent to to express it because you know that that parent isn't going to abuse you and you know they're not going to abandon you. Right. So your body just naturally needs somewhere to have the anger go and you absolutely know that you cannot be angry at the abusive person because they could they could kill you or hurt you or something. Right. The other is that it's possible to, you know, Hannah, you're talking about I um I, you know i i sort of let my abusive father off the hook and but my mom i you know i'm really upset about because she didn't defend me it's normal to be upset at at parents cuz she was she was an adult yeah she could have done something yeah. potentially yeah and depending on what happened it's possible you know she did very little if anything and wh- another conceptualization is that when you were young you basically just gave up on your dad you you at some point you're just like I yeah. no longer care right. about this man. I don't I don't want his his love. I don't want him in my life. I just I, I think he he's just kind of like a monster that's living in my mm-hmm. house. But your mom you still had hopes for and you still wanted things from her, you still needed her, and so you're angry at her, and you know, in the same way that if your mom somewhat disappoints you, but then I don't know, someone on the bus steals your purse, uh, you know, 10 years later, you're probably going to be more concerned about your mom than the guy who still stole the purse, even though the guy who stole the purse was obviously wronging you. Because yeah. you're just like, well, I don't I don't know that person, whatever. But, yeah. you're, you know, we want our moms, our parents, to love us and to protect us, and especially when we still have a connection and, and, and a hope for that kind mm-hmm. of relationship. And so it's possible that Hannah, that, that's what's going on for you. But yeah, I will say it's very common, and yeah, it absolutely could be part of internalized patriarchy to uh, let men off the hook. And particularly on parenting, we have this notion that if something went wrong, and this goes way back to Freudian times, it's the mom's fault. Oh right, schizophrenogenic moms. Remember that? Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not the father's fault. You know.
1: Right. How <laughs> could it be? It,
0: but it's this weird paradox because it's like, well, the fact that. Were uh, were saying, you know, because because the reason why they would say it's not the men's fault is because the men aren't doing any of the parenting, which should be a problem. (laughs) You know, it's it's like (laughs) uh, at least the mom's doing something. (laughs) Right. Right. We see that as a solution, not a problem. But it's definitely a problem. Right. Right. Weird. All right. Patron Sierra from Pennsylvania. Oh, where? I don't know. Oh, but she says, yay, Philly. Yay, Philly. I have come to the realization that I get extremely anxious when yelling occurs, even when not directed at me. Yeah. My bosses constantly yell at me or their kids. Really? Or, at, or at each other. Oh, God. It made me a perfectionist, and I'm scared to go to work sometimes. Yeah, I bet. My body reacts with constant shaking, a constant urge to pee, and a state of fight or flight. When I was growing up, my parents would constantly yell at each mm, other right. and at me and my siblings. We are accustomed to it and have lived by the philosophy that says yelling is a part of life. Yeah. As clinicians, what is your take on this philosophy? Is there a better way I can communicate my anxiety to others without seeming weak? Bob, what do you think?
1: Well, let's be clear. You're not weak. You are having a trauma response and a completely understandable one, even if you didn't grow up in that kind of um, in that in yelling. It's wrong to go to work and be yelled at or have to be subject to temper tantrums from anybody bosses included maybe you need a different job right yeah right so
0: as bob is saying you are experiencing a trauma response and the fight flight freeze appease faint is happening to you. you're having a, an adrenaline surge that anyone would have when they're being yelled at but particularly if you have trauma around that you're going to be even more sensitive to that potentially makes total sense that you're having that feeling and you know you point out this constant urge to pee when you're under that uh, stress and that's something that people don't talk about but I've heard that before absolutely have you ever heard that before I have heard that before yeah Yeah. there's something about you know you scare the piss out of someone yep. you scare the crap Yeah. there's a reason why we have these things yes, because is. when we're afraid and other animals do this too yep. that the theory goes is that we're getting ready to run, yeah. and you need to be light on your feet, yeah. so <laughs> offload as much unnecessary as so pee right, yeah. and, and just just you know get rid of it and, yeah. and get moving um also there's probably also something related to like sphincter control under stress, or right. you know who knows, but yeah um so so that's that's normal and not weak, no. you know is there any way I can communicate my anxiety to others without seeing me um you're not weak for being abused. I know that's what you've internalized, but and from society as well, but that that is not the narrative. You're a victim. Uh you know, if someone runs me over with their car as I'm walking across a legal crosswalk, I'm not weak because I'm on the ground crying and mm-hmm. I have a broken leg. <laughs> I'm a victim of someone else's Crime. If you are having a fight or flight reaction to people yelling at you at work unfairly, I'm quite sure that doesn't make you weak. No. And if you communicate that you have anxiety about this, that doesn't make you weak. If I go to the hospital with a broken leg because someone ran over me, I'm not weak because I'm asking for help. I'm a victim of a crime. Uh, I'm a victim of hostility or wrongdoing. Yeah. And I am asking people to help me right. or I'm asking people to stop running over me with a car someone's yelling at you all the time and you're like i'm you're freaking me out yeah Uh, that's not weakness (laughs) right that's human reactivity that is normal particularly given your history so uh you know i I understand why you think that way it's because society looks at that way and also internalized uh victimhood if you will so don't you know don't tell yourself that no um and what do I think of the philosophy that yelling is a part of life? No, yelling is not a part it of life. It is not a part of life. I almost have no yelling in my life. I, I don't yell. People in my life don't yell at me. My parents didn't yell um, ever really. I, uh, or barely ever. Uh, in fact, in my household, it was high crime to say, shut up. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause you know, we were four siblings. There was a lot of urges to tell each other, shut up. And if we, saying shut up was a swear word when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, And uh, so we did not grow up with yelling and I'm not accustomed to it. And when it happens to me, it's like, what is happening right now? So yelling is not a part of life. That is what perpetrators will say. That's what, that's what people will say when they grow up with all that yelling, because it it feels like that's a part of life, but it is not a part of life. Communicating your feelings in a healthy way could be a part of life. (laughs) Having feelings is a part of life. Wanting to yell is a part of life, but actual yelling is not an inherent part of human existence. No. Um, and to also parrot what Bob was saying of maybe change jobs. You know, I know that's an easy answer, but that's my urge too. I don't know what your circumstance is, but you deserve better. Yeah. Um, and I've done this before, and but I've been on both sides. So on one hand, so there are two instances where I can think of Where I was yelled at by a boss and did something. Well, one time I was working at Foot Locker. I think we were talking about this not too long ago, uh, down in um, Westlake Mall, downtown Seattle. Oh, that's right. In the basement. Yeah. And I had a business degree and I was not getting any sort of work. Right. And I saw this job in the newspaper and I thought, I need money. Yeah. And it was a terrible job. I was on my feet all day. I worked six days a week. I got paid something like two and a half bucks an hour because it was only commission or something like that. Wow. And this boss was, you know, he was generally okay. But then mm. something happened. And mind you, I'm like two weeks into the job. And I've never sold shoes before. I've never probably even sold retail before. Mm-hmm. And so... I guess I'm probably making some mistakes, but I don't remember them being like egregious because well, it wasn't they? that complicated of a job. How could they be egregious? Yeah, and he screamed at me yeah. like he, he was like in my face, like red in the you know in the face, just yelling at me. And I was mm. thinking like, well, I'm quitting mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because yelling is not a part of life, and I don't deserve this crap. Mm-hmm. And so in my head, I was like, well, that's the end of this job. Because the thing that I – I don't know where I learned this, but early in life I learned that the way people treat you, it's only getting worse. So if someone yells at you at week two, they're going to yell at you even more by year two. Yeah. And so – and I'm not going to change this guy. So I'm gone. <laughs> I don't deserve this. Right. And I did. Uh, and I did not quit in a convenient time for him. Uh, I just quit because you know I, I gave it another couple of weeks because I needed that extra time. And then I, on the way out of my shift, I said, "By the way, I'm done. I'm quitting." He's like, "You're giving me notice? No, I'm done." I didn't yell at him. No, but I just said, "I'm done." You let him know. Yeah, I, I'm leaving. You can take. I didn't say it, but you know, you can take this job and shove it. Yeah, and you know what you did to me is kind of the vibe i the was vibe. It's like you know who you are and yeah. you know why i'm quitting yeah i didn't say it but yeah. i said i'm sorry i'm leaving yep because no one deserves to be yelled at don't. um the other situation i didn't quit but i was uh recently i don't know if i was an intern but i was a, you know a young therapist novice therapist and my supervisor who i liked she was really stressed out, and I went in. So she just got it out of a meeting where they were yelling at her, I'm guessing, about productivity, you know, making sure that the therapists are seeing, like, 35 clients, oh. you know, billable hours, billable yes. hours, billable, billable right. hours. And there's always that tension between upper admin trying to push labor to produce more money and mm-hmm. the labor saying, like, in order for me to do my job effectively, I can't be working with that many people. I need to do my paperwork. I need some downtime, da-da-da. Blah, blah, blah. So... It, it trickles down, goes to the supervisors, and then right after that meeting, I have a supervision meeting, an hour-long supervision meeting with her. Mm. And I sit down, and I'm like, normally, you know, I can trust her, and we can just have a normal conversation and, and have it go well. But she just starts laying into me about productivity, and I'm like – and I and I knew in my head that she had never uh, – you know, there's always a kind of a suggestion of like, you know, try to get your billable hours up. But there was never a mandate, and none of the therapists were – at the quota that she was now saying I was negligent of achieving. Oh, jeez. And it wasn't just, you know, this talk, it was also very emotionally abusive to me to the point where my heart started to race. Yeah. You know, I'm having a fight or flight reaction. Right. Like like what uh Sierra was having. And half so this is an hour long supervision meeting and I'm kind of trying to defend myself but I'm also like I don't understand what this is so irrational that I don't. But she's just really and again fight or flight reaction. Twenty five minutes into the meeting, I'm like, I just stood up and walked out. I, Good for you. In the middle, you know, yeah, I'm like twenty eight. I'm a novice therapist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, you know, where do I get off? But I was just like, fuck, I'm not dealing with this. Good for you. Like you're unreasonable. You're out of control. You're being abusive, and I'm just not gonna. I'm just not gonna do it. And and. I, I'm trying to defend myself, and I want to tell you off, but I'm just going to communicate by walking out in, in mid-sentence. And I just said, well, I'm leaving, and I just walked out. <laughs> and that was a big deal. Part of it, I did it because I was freaking out so much, honestly. I yeah. was I was actually, like, panicking. Yeah. But I was also, like, uh, you know, my mom didn't raise
1: me to put up with this. <laughs> respect demands this kind of response. Right. Yeah.
0: And... She later apologized, by the way. Good. Um, But so I tell you this, Sierra, because uh, I want you to know that you deserve my kind of attitude, (laughs) which is you don't deserve that and you can walk out. And I've worked with a lot of clients on this very issue, particularly women who just put up with the abuse. And there's this notion of, of like, well, it's part of the job. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> because if you have an abuse, I, I, there's so many people I know who, if their boyfriend or husband talked to them the way their boss would, they would divorce them. But somehow because it's their boss, they're like, well, that's just how he is. Or that's what that's what this industry is like. It's, it's high pressure. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. And you don't have to. And why? <laughs> and your life is deteriorating because of this abuse. You, you're not sleeping at night. You have low self-esteem. You have a traumatic physical response every time this person walks in the room. Like you're you're in an abusive relationship, the in the exact same manner of an abusive uh, marriage, and somehow that's like a novel idea to people. And I I feel like, and we even glorify this, like movies like, what's that Prada movie with uh, the Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, but from what I understand the boss is like abusive and we look up to people like oh it's you know she's a she's a taskmaster she demands uh greatness or michael jordan for example did you watch the documentary i did and how abusive he was to his teammates just disgusting yeah he's treating other people like crap and and you know fans of michael jordan are just like well you know but that's what it takes to be great well no it doesn't actually it's not true there are plenty of people who are great who were not that way to people. Yeah. And Michael Jordan isn't the only great basketball player, by the way, and he would have been crap without Pippin and everyone else. Oh, yeah. So, as evidenced by him being on The Wizard... Anyway, don't even get started. But like, but there's so many people <laughs> that talk about, like,
1: uh, but, you know, that's a part of greatness. Like, it's this American yeah, idea. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it, that mythology? Yeah. That greatness um, both requires and also uh, consents to abuse. Yeah, like Steve Jobs.
0: He's yeah. notorious for being abusive, well, right. but, but he was a he was a genius. Genius. It's like, well, Wozniak was a genius, probably more so than Steve Jobs, and yeah. he was the nicest person on the planet, yeah, or at least from reports. Right. So, how does that work out? Right. And guess who gets to be on the stage, uh, riding on the coattails of Wozniak and everyone else around him? Yeah. Like in this totally fake way. Yeah. The a hole. Yeah. So, no. Being an a-hole is not part of the job. <laughs> yeah. And not okay. It's not. And and even if it was, like if I, you know, if I was on the Bulls under Jordan, I would have said, "I don't care about a ring. I don't I don't want to live this way." Yeah. Life is too short then to deal with this kind that of a abuse. piece of metal. Fuck. Yeah. Mm. Like during practice, Jordan would bully other people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, isn't it?
0: And so it's uh, it's not okay. Right. And um, now, on the other hand, I had power in that situation. I could leave the footlocker job. Yeah, right, job. right. I could walk out of the supervision right. meeting thinking I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get fired. Right. And I'm pretty sure I could find another job if I got fired. But there are other situations like when I was getting my doctorate, where I did not have power, uh-uh. and I was being abused mm-hmm. by multiple people. Really who were yeah who were in charge of my life because you just you're in total dependency when you're in graduate school you are and it's even increased when you know you have so when you have a professor so you're in a graduate school and you have professors who are abusing you you're even more dependent on them because if they're being nice to you then you know that you can kind of depend on them to be fair but if they're being mean to you then you need to be even ni- at least one of the the way that I approached it was I need to be even nicer to them because they already are against me in some mm-hmm. weird way. Mhm. You know, whereas the teachers who are on my side, I can push back a little bit and know that they'll probably be okay They're with that. Safer. So, right. So the it's this inverse relationship of the right. meaner they were to me, the nicer I was to them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I'm not saying in all situations, you know, I'm 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 a guy, and that's another part of this equation that you know privilege. And so, but I will acknowledge there are some situations where
1: you don't have the power to push back. No, we and, don't know, and I
0: don't know what to do in a situation like that.
1: We we don't know Sierra's situation. She might right. be in this, you know, right. But hey. I,
0: I will tell you that overall,
1: you deserve to not be treated that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Hey, one one final thought on that. One of the things to remember about emotion is that. They don't just motivate behavior or give us information about a situation; they actually have a communicative function, and each emotion communicates something different. So, like fear communicates, there's a possibility of danger around. So, if somebody's afraid, other people will l- start looking for danger. That's the communicative function of fear. And shame has a communicative function, and guilt has a communic. Shame's communicative function is remorse. Right. If I'm ashamed, that um, demonstrates in a felt sense way that that um, I feel bad about what happened. And so um, that has a, that will have an impact on the world around me. They'll like, oh, OK, well, he's sorry. Right. Anger's communicative function is to get the, the world to back off. So you're having a natural, and, and to right a wrong to right injustice. Well, that's its motivational function is to right or wrong, but it's communicative function. In other words, it's influential function on other humans is to get them to back off. And here you are, you're in an impossible situation where you work for your boss, bosses, whoever the yellers are. And so, um, you can't, short of leaving, you can't actually back off. So you're forced to be in this situation where you can't leave and it's what your body's natural response is is to back off or get away or move away like mama bear is the most scary bear in the in the forest because she's protecting her young and she's powerful and strong and we know that that's dangerous and so we will naturally back off and here you are with this jerk that's yelling and you can't because you
0: are know. you are you good at pushing back on on abusive superiors
1: I don't have any, anymore. No, I'm terrible at it.
0: What, like in the past?
1: No, I've never been good at it. What would you do? Kowtow. Crumble. And put up with it. Blame yourself or something? Yeah, i do that. Um, I might shame myself publicly, too, in order to create um, good grace, good graces.
0: But you've been, you've engineered your career such that it's been a long time since that's happened. When was the last time that happened to you?
1: Last time I had a boss.
0: Yeah, the last time he had a boss. Oh, uh, that's that's got to be... Community psychiatric clinic back in...
1: No, um, I had a job until... Well... Well, when see, you when were it...
0: with Linehan, you kind of had bosses, essentially. She was my boss. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was... I, I left that clinic in 2008. That's yeah. the last time I had a boss.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know how, Bob, you'll sometimes say, well, one of the reasons why I'm friends with you, Kirk, is because you model for me yes how to care about yourself and and that kind of and 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 i that's a novel idea to me that i when i think of um sierra yeah i I think of and and i've and i've done this for other women honestly because i think this is a gendered thing that I, i do feel like as a man i have the right and i have the privilege and i have the chutzpah if you will to say screw you i don't care if you're my boss like no and i feel like a lot of women in particular but you know obviously people of all genders yeah uh, don't even feel like that's an option and no. when i model it i want people to absorb that you know i want to i want Everyone out there, I want me, I want to give you my arrogant maleness, which is sometimes a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like to be an arrogant man or to embody arrogant masculinity, there's pros and cons. And one of the pros is that you can walk out in the middle of a supervision meeting as you're being abused and go like, I'm just not going to deal with this. Yeah. So peace. And... I've done this before for other, uh, you know, people that I was mentoring, and I, I, and I, I want to give it to you, Sierra. And the thing that I, uh, the other thing I'll say, in addition to what I've already said, is anger is good, as as Bob is essentially saying. Uh, anger, particularly for people who are chronically put upon and and treated unfairly by others, understand that your anger. Anger is good. Yeah. Anger is like anger is as good as happiness it's oh, as yeah. it's as good as sadness when you're sad. Anger is wonderful, yeah, and when I get angry, I feel good <laughs> i yeah. I feel like I feel righteous right. I feel powerful. powerful I feel like I, I don't know it's it's when I feel it, I'm like, yes, yeah, you know and and a lot of people, again, particularly women, uh, because of the way they're raised, yeah. deserve to connect with their anger. And there's so many people who are just completely disconnected from their anger. And so if you aren't getting angry at least once a day, you're probably suppressing something. <laughs> are you talking <laughs> Between, about Sierra's situation? But everyone, really. Oh. Uh, but particularly if you're out in the world, because there's always someone that's pissing me off in the world. <laughs> people who don't use their blinkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who are on their phone as they're walking on the sidewalk and I have to get out of the way. People who... Don't get vaccinated. People don't get vaccinated. People who don't show up on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, people who are incompetent. And so, uh, if you're not getting angry, there's something wrong with you. And so, getting in touch with that is a good thing. Don't be afraid of it. Anger is good. What do you do with the anger, though? That's the thing. Yeah. And uh, so, when your bosses are yelling at you, If you're not getting angry, you're probably suppressing it, which is not healthy. And you're not listening to your anger. Your anger is telling you something. You know, Bob framed it as get away from me. The way that I would frame it, which is akin to what you're saying, is uh, anger is a response of fairness. Something is unfair is happening. Like either someone's in your face and it's unfair or they're taking something from you or, you know, some injustice is happening and anger motivates us to right the injustice either by um you know getting away from someone or by taking something back that someone took from us or you know being treated unfairly, and so when you're angry and you are in touch with it and you listen to it, it is telling you what you need now you might not be able to do anything, you know, like when I was in my doctorate program, and people were treating me unfairly, and I was angry. I couldn't push back because I didn't have any power and I I just wanted to get through the program. So, you know, I'm not saying there's always this, but I knew I was angry, you know, and I guess my anger motivated me to think about it more and to talk with other people, get some support, but know that your anger is good and you should listen to it. And uh, so, yeah. And, And I hope I can inspire people to get angry. <laughs> and the other thing I'll say is that if you have been suppressing your anger for your whole life, the first phase of anger identification and expression will be that of a child. So be okay with how unbridled and weird and potentially immature it is. But that's okay. Don't don't go back into your shell just because your anger is weird when it first comes out. It's going to get weird. Growing pains. Yeah. So you you have to go through that because, you know, that's the only way to get to a more differentiated sense of anger. Um, anyway. Sierra, good luck. Yeah. And let us know how you're, how you're doing. All right, let's take a break. What do you say, Bob? Yes. All right, we're back from the break. Let's do an OPP, an old patron praise for oh. people that have been patrons since July of 2018. Wow. We have Kira from Los Angeles, who I think I've uh, communicated with, if I'm not mistaken. We have Kimberly from Santa Fe, New Mexico. You ever been to Santa Fe? No. It's cute. Oh. Cute little lots of art. They have this little town square that looks like old Mexico oh. kind of thing. We have Karen from Denmark? DK. Does you think that's Denmark? I think it's Denmark. We got Nina from Edmonton, Alberta. Wow. Christine from Denver. I think I've communicated with Christine from now. We got Gazal from Lomita, California. We got Kurt from Gainesville, Florida. We got Scott from Rosewater, Australia. We mm-hmm. have Riley from God knows where. We have Rebecca from Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Bellevue. Good old Bellevue, where the pod wife was born and raised. Wow. Oh. We got Eve from Renton, Washington, where I was born. Hey, Renton. We got Dan from Calgary, Alberta. We got yeah. Amanda from. West Van Wert, Ohio.
1: Oh, Did you ever go to Ohio? Ohio's close to Pennsylvania, right? It is. Next state next Did you west. go there very often? I've been through Ohio. I don't think I've ever spent any time there.
0: I, th- I always think it's just farmland. Is that true?
1: Well, yeah. I think most of Ohio is flat farmland, yeah.
0: Okay. I guess most states are mostly well, flat farmland. Coastal states, maybe less. Jessica like from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Been oh, there?
1: I know Hershey. Sure.
0: What's that like? What's Hershey like?
1: Well, um, it smells like chocolate because they have the big chocolate factory there. They do? Oh, yeah. Oh. Isn't Hershey named after a dude? Yeah. Milton Hershey is also the guy who founded the Hershey Chocolate Company. And then they named the town after him? They named the town after him. Uh. And there's a really fun amusement park there. And um, yeah, it's nice there. Uh, Shalina from
0: Mercer Island, Washington. Hey, Mercer Island. Nearby here. Emma from London great britain we got stephanie from blairsville georgia blairsville a, i don't know something kind of fun about that mm-hmm. stephanie from utah west bountiful utah oh bountiful yeah west bountiful though oh sorry 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 Have I you been, have been there offended. to bountiful utah no, but i like that name cassandra from bloomington indiana tanya from los angeles sarah from los angeles wow la kelly from halifax oh like, i've been there what's that like
1: isn't that kind of know. like
0: Maine or something?
1: It's Nova Scotia, so it's north of, northeast of Maine. Yeah. and um, I was thinking of like
0: lobsters from Halifax. Yeah yeah, 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 okay.
1: yeah, yeah. It's like that, yeah. Mia I, from
0: Hillside, California, and Abby from Christchurch, New Zealand. Wow. So thank you all for being patrons and being patrons all the way since July 2018.
1: I have a colleague that's from Christchurch, New Zealand. Really? Yeah. Maybe they know Good each other. Good friend of mine, Emily.
0: All right. Patron Molly says, I was wondering what kinds of things you think about as clients disclose awful things to you like childhood, sexual abuse, neglect, and so on. Do you use any coping skills in the moment for yourself to protect from vicarious trauma? Bob, what do you think?
1: I don't think of things. I don't have. My practice hasn't specialized in working with folks who've had um, a lot of trauma. So I haven't suffered vicarious traumatization. But I have listened to some awful things that happen, that would make anybody horrified and sad. Um, but I don't need to do anything special to cope with it because there's. If it, it, this is my experience, I've been a therapist for almost thirty for thirty plus years, a little more than thirty years, and early on, I developed a capacity to sort of. Bracket work and leave work at work. So it doesn't generally haunt me. So don't get me wrong. I think about my clients all the time, all the time, no, current clients and past clients. I was thinking about a past client this morning, lovely young woman. Um, um, I think about my clients all the time. And uh, but I don't I don't um, even the ones that have had severe trauma who have used their therapy to you know work that through. Um, I I haven't ever been traumatized by it. You just have a, I just have a facility for putting brackets around it so that it it begins and ends pretty much at work.
0: Yeah, me too. I I think this is um somehow a weird myth that or a notion that feels natural to people that aren't in the in the industry mm-hmm. who will think, how do you deal? You hear that? How do you deal with hearing those stories? Yeah, and I'm always like, huh. What do you mean? Yeah, like, it's, it's not hard. It's not hard. And I, I, and I wouldn't even say I bracket it because that implies somehow if I heard these stories in my personal life, I would somehow be destroyed and I'm No,
1: not. no, no. Right. Yeah,
0: it doesn't. Right. It's true. I don't need to bracket anything because no. it, it just doesn't. It's just. It, I mean, like, like you said, I'm sad and I'm with someone yeah. and I'm horrified. Oof. And, you know, there are some stories that will really kind of get me, but it doesn't take a toll for no. whatever reason. I, yeah, I, uh, I might think about them later, but I'm, I'm not like hurt.
1: Have you seen much vicarious? They used to write about it a lot. Is it still a thing?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's still a thing. Oh. The research topic taglines are vicarious trauma or secondary trauma hmm. or secondary PTSD, which is a thing. And there's a number of things that you kind of touched on. One is, is that you and I don't specialize in that yeah, kind of work. Yeah, we don't, right. And so yeah. we're not necessarily hearing a lot of stories about it, but we have, obviously, and do. Uh, like, I've i trained people who work at Dawson Place, which is up in Everett, and th- th- the agency is specialized in children who are sexually abused. And so the children come in. And are there specifically because of that. It's not like they randomly come in. You know, they're referred there because they were recently sexually abused, usually by someone in their family. Mm -hmm. And the model of Dawson Place is that not only do you have the family therapists and the child specialists, but you have the psychiatrist in the same building. And you also have the police officers and the prosecutors and the defense lawyers all in the same building. So everyone communicates with each other to support the victim.
1: The defense lawyers, like the, like
0: the yeah. Well, I think, but even the prosecutors too, as well. Like every uh, when you work at Dawson, at least back in the day when I was uh, training people who worked there, the it's a wraparound service because often you know the therapist isn't in communication with the prosecutor, isn't in communication with because in order to support the victim, see, one, you want to prosecute the perpetrator, sure. You need a story from the victim,
1: yeah,
0: and to get the story, it's kind of hard if they're five, right, and. So you need if you're a therapist and you're there to treat and you're also kind of there to advocate for the child and advocate for justice to sure. put this guy person behind bars, then you need to know special techniques of interviewing, so you're yeah. not drawing you're not in you're not injecting inducing the client to believe certain things, you know, right. certain techniques. The other thing is is as a therapist, you can advocate for through the legal process of no, this child should not be on the stand, that kind of stuff. Um And the family can be involved. You know, it's just it's a really great model. The problem, though, is as a therapist, you could have like 35 hours a week of listen. And and it's your job to extract these stories in a therapeutic manner and possibly a legal matter of sexual abuse, you know, detailed stories. Right. And it always takes a toll. And this agency uh, does some things, I think. I think they probably deserve to do more. But. They'll, they'll do, you know, they're recon, they recognize vicarious right. trauma and, yeah, and yeah. secondary PTSD, PTSD. And
1: I, right.
0: and in, uh, of the trainees I've seen go through there, I would see more than half midway through their time, you know, like six, nine months into it, they are significantly impacted, oh. depressed, yeah. anxious, yeah. can't sleep, oh. don't like their job anymore. Right. Having a hard time with compassion because they're, because they're burnt out. They're burnt out. Yeah. Which is another term that's similar, if not the same, to vicarious traumas burnout and compassion fatigue, right, yeah and uh and yeah, it can be rough, you know oh. we're talking like suicidality and yeah, depression for right, for right. these right. clinicians, that
1: makes sense, yeah,
0: yeah, so mm. uh but you know I wonder though if if you and I because i because I think that. I just can't imagine it getting to me. You know, I, I think that when I hear the stories, I'm horrified, but I wasn't abused in that way. I think that's a big another susceptibility factor is that if you were sexually abused yourself, obviously, then oh, you might. it's going to trigger that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas for me, I, I didn't have that. So it, right. when I hear the stories, I i am horrified and, and care and have a lot of compassion, but it doesn't I'm not afraid. It doesn't trigger, and that's part of vi- vicarious trauma and uh, right. secondary PTSD is right. that you are being traumatized right it's as saying, you're hearing the story, you have a fight or flight reaction yeah that's the, the yeah that's the that's the uh precipitating factor in developing any kind of PTSD secondary or otherwise right is a feeling of terror and right. when I hear these stories, I don't feel the terror uh, I feel bad and I'm angry mm-hmm. and I'm affected. But I'm not, afraid. but I'm not personally afraid, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, so yeah, but you're saying, you know, do we use any coping skills? Well, if the kind of skills that I've worked with, with my trainees are thus, one is taking big, more vacations and advocating for more breaks. If you're having compassion fatigue, one of the only things you can do for that is to take time off. Yeah. You need time away. You need to stop hearing those stories, and that needs to be kind of worked into your um, schedule. Like as a regular preventative thing? Probably. Uh, The other thing is to know what you're susceptible to. Bob and I are not, so we're okay with whatever comes our way. But if you're susceptible to this kind of thing, you probably want to be very careful about how many of these clients you take on. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's okay. Uh, But I will say that, uh, in summary, the notion that somehow listening to people's quote-unquote problems is somehow laborious or takes a toll on therapists is just not generally true. Yeah. That
1: hasn't been my experience either.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason why people have this myth is that when you're not a therapist and you're not particularly a good (laughs) listener— It is laborious because you're listening to someone talk about their problems and you somehow feel responsible mm-hmm. or you're annoyed that they're talking a lot about themselves or something. And, yeah, I guess if you're approaching it from that perspective, then it's then it's laborious. But if you approach it the way Bob and I do, it's just like, I'm listening and I'm here for you. And this is why I'm on this planet is to, you know, be helpful and nice to other people. And so I'm listening. Mm-hmm but i'm not i'm not personally threatened you know there's not yeah. there's not a danger to me no. and I'm, and i'm not particularly responsible even for clients necessarily in the moment for for changing the pain that they're in from that and when you release yourself from that notion of being responsible then it's it's not a labor you're no. listening and you're there and yeah. you're in, you're in the zone and and when they walk out of your office you know you get a drink of water and you see the next client it's not a you're not it's not an emergency, you know? And I think that's another part of it that maybe lay people have or novice therapists have. It's like, but if someone's telling you about their traumas, you got to do something. It's like, no, you don't. (laughs) There's, there's a lot. You, in fact, trying to do something, well, screw it up. Listen, be with someone,
1: you know, let's not underestimate the value of listening to somebody and being present. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Someone falls off their bike and they're, they skin their knee and they're sad and they're crying. They're on the ground. You, You can't reverse time. Yeah. And you don't want to tell them, we'll be more careful next time while they're crying. Oh. You just sit next to them and say, oh, that looks like it hurts. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. I've been there before. Ow. Yeah. Look at that. Eesh. How you feeling? You know, it's, it's, it's not complicated. And when you complicate it, it makes it more laborious, which makes it potentially more damaging. Right. Up at your patron, Diane from California. She says, what does doing work, doing the work mean? Uh, In therapy, I had a former therapist I saw for five months. He ended up taking a job out of state, and I no longer could see him. All the time, he would refer to doing the work in therapy. And when we finished up and I found another therapist, he said, I am so glad you are going to continue to do the work. I always thought it just meant showing up and being present, but I never got to ask him what he meant by doing the work in therapy bob what do you think it means
1: send him an email find out what he thinks i don't like the phrase why it's it's kitschy it's cliche it's like it's like a club thing like a like a oh we're in this club and we do the work i I don't like it i don't like it it's it's trite it's it minimizes and 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 patronize i don't like this word do the i don't like this phrase what do you think it means I don't know what they mean. I could imagine what would would. It sounds pompous to me. But and what do you think it means? Arrogant. What do you think it means? Uh, I guess it means um, using therapy properly. I, I don't know. I, it, when What's I think about well, all right, what am I hoping for for my clients? Is that when they're when we're together that they're present, that they're um, that they are free to access their inner experience. And to the degree that they wish or need to to l- communicate it to let me know what it is or or if it's couple therapy to let their partner know, I'd say that's doing work like that's that's what that's what I think the purpose is like the the and the outcome from that I think is healing um I certainly hope it is if I should deliver pizza if it Because <laughs> at least what, when you deliver pizza, you know the recipient's very happy yeah right <laughs> um i It sounds, it's too buzzy to me. I don't like it. Mm. Do you like it? How do you feel about it? Uh, I'm neutral. Oh, well,
0: that's nice. But I don't use it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I think, so I think doing the work can mean a lot of things. As you say, you're thinking, I think it always means showing up and being present. Bob was basically kind of alluding to this. Yeah. Of like, I when I think of doing the work I also think of AA. People will say you got to do you got to go through the steps. You got to show steps. up. Yeah, yeah. You got to do the work. And I think it implies look, this isn't always easy. It's not like a fun walk in the park. You got to do the work. You got to you got to get up and make this happen and it'll benefit you in the end. Yeah. It's it's like uh, a CrossFit. You got to do the work. Yeah. You, you can't you can't get those muscles and health by just sitting on the couch you got to do the work that kind of i think it kind of has that uh, implication but i also think it has um the meaning of quote-unquote processing feelings which is another catch word not like that uh have i said that yes i don't like yeah I don't think I'm as adamantly against it as you are against doing the work, but oh, but yeah, crazy. when people say process feelings, the reason why I don't like that phrase is because I feel like a lot of therapists just say that because they they don't know what else to say uh-huh. and, they, and they don't even know what they mean by it. Yeah, yeah, that's what you said. Yeah, and maybe that's doing the work. Maybe that's another maybe that's another thing that people will say when they don't have any theoretical understanding of how therapy works. That's my problem with it. Okay. Yeah,
1: like because this person is actually having a really important question. Yeah, which is what does that mean? Because if it's important, I might want to do it. Yeah.
0: Now, if a therapist has a explanation of what that means, yeah, great. Then great. But I but I feel like a lot of therapists are walking around us with these catchphrases mm-hmm. of, you know, we're going to process feelings and we're we're going to do the work and yeah. and they just have they don't have any idea what well, they're, what talking, they're about. talking about. Yeah, it's just these things that they think will yeah. justify what they're doing. Send them an email. Ask them. Yeah. Um, well, you're in a current. You have a current therapist where it's happening right now. So just ask your therapist what what is doing the work mean.
1: Well, but that person's going to have their opinion, and the old yeah. therapist, anyways. Um,
0: I think another uh, possible uh, thing it could mean is introspection, even when things yeah. aren't pleasant. Like, yeah, yeah. Yep. I have to do the work by recognizing that sometimes I am too dependent on other people. You know, that's that's kind of like doing the work. Yeah. I think also doing the work can mean tr- trying to change yourself in ways that don't feel quite comfortable. That's sure. doing the work. Mm-hmm. If I am too negative or something about my spouse, doing the work is like okay, you know, try to be more positive or don't jump to conclusions. Just doing the work—it's hard. Um, Trauma recovery can be "quote unquote" doing the work, right? You got to go through the exposure—that's work. That's definitely hard. No pain, no gain. Yep. I think like CBT or DBT, even skills work. You know, it's work, right? When people come to your DBT class, it's not all fun and games, right? It's like you got to you got to learn the skill. You got to you got to do the work, practice. Implying also that when you do the work. You benefit from it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that yeah. would be the point, right? Yeah. So I think that I think that's often what people mean. But yeah, I mean, like Bob said, you should just ask, you know, if you're curious, because every therapist is going to use it differently, I think. And so you just want to say, when you say continue to do the work, what what, right. do, you, what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah. And and honestly, up to your patient Diane from California, this is possibly related to a larger topic of what we call the therapeutic alliance, which involves task goals and bonds, which means that uh, the first two of goals and and tasks, all the clients out there, you should absolutely know what goals are being addressed by you and your therapist. You should know, like, this is what I'm here to do to achieve. And this is what and my therapist knows that this is why I'm here and agrees that that's a good goal. Now, some some people are blanch at that. It's like, "Well, goals? That sounds so concrete." No, you sh- you should have a goal of I want to have higher self esteem. I want to uh, have a have different schemas or eliminate maladaptive schemas. I want to have happier relationships. I want to have greater well being. I want to have a more fulfilling life. I want to have more meaning in my life. I want to feel loved. Like these are goals. They might not be like, I want to quit smoking or something, but they're goals. And so if you don't have a clear understanding with your therapist about what goals you are working on every single time in therapy at every minute, then something's wrong. Uh One, there could be a massive misunderstanding. And, and two, you could just be like yammering in therapy without any kind of like understanding of why you're there it's very important to know again it could be very amorphous like i just want i want to know the meaning of my life you know something like that so understand the goals and you also should know the tasks so and this is what doing the work implies is that implies this is the task that you do to meet the goal and so if you're having a question diane of like I don't know what they mean by doing the work, then you don't have an understanding between the two of you about the tasks of therapy. They're using a a jargon that you don't understand what they mean by it. Yeah, you're making a face. Bobby no like. What what don't you like about it? It's big. Yeah. And kitschy. Yeah. Uh, anonymous patron says, I would like to share a recent experience with my therapist that has left me very unsettled. Mm. She knew I have long been employed by a major airline. She said she once took a flight on my airline and told me it was one of the worst flights she had ever experienced. Mm -hmm. I felt so embarrassed, and I apologized that she experienced that with my airline. She told me that she had even been warned from a good friend in that city not to expect much from our airline. When I talked to my therapist at our next meeting as to possible reasons uh, for her bad experience with my airline, it was quite clear that she would never fly with our airline again. This exchange has made me feel so awkward that it has now interfered with my sense of connection with her. Bob, what should
1: she do? Bring it up. Um, it's probably hard to bring it up. Um, you might have some hurt feelings or some anger or some wondering about how does she, some angst about how does she see you because that's your employer whatever. And it's okay to have pride in your in your employment. Yeah. It's also okay to have your own experience of things that's different from another person's, including the therapists. Yeah. Um how do you feel about knowing in as much detail, at least as you're describing here, how do you feel about knowing that much? Is it helpful to you? Is it relevant to the kinds of things that you want to accomplish in therapy or, or want to address in therapy? Um, um talk about it. Yeah. yeah. You know me, that's all I ever say to anybody.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, 100% agree. But as you said, it might get a little hairy because it sounds like the therapist is kind of rigid about this whole thing. And, you know, a, a good therapist would say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have talked about, the, you know, maybe I'm too rigid about this sort of thing. Yeah. You know, like like a good therapist would say, I'm sorry that I put it that way. Like, yeah. I could see why that would hurt your feelings. Um, that's on me. But the The fact that she did it in the first place, she might go like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Your airline is just a piece of crap. You know, like that's kind of, that's the attitude we're getting from her. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the vibe of this email, right? Yeah. So I don't know about the therapist. I obviously wasn't there, but I think we have enough detail (laughs) from this, uh, uh, you know. To make some guesses. Yeah. Yeah. That this therapist doesn't understand proper self-disclosure. Yeah why would that's, you talk about I, I this i don't know
1: why it's important
0: what would be the purpose of this i don't know you're you're a therapist helping someone and she talks about an airline and you're like oh my god when i was on your what what are you doing How is this helpful in life like just stop it yeah <laughs> i mean that's just so ridiculous uh so with research with proper and helpful self-disclosure it needs to be brief, mm-hmm. it needs to be helpful, and it needs to be processed. So it sounds like it might have been brief-ish. Clearly it wasn't helpful. Yeah. It doesn't – I mean, unless there's some secret strategic reason why the therapist is doing this, which I can't imagine, I, I can't imagine that being true. And cl- and three, it clearly was not processed. You know, she's still, like, upset about it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, uh, it just – it blows my mind when – I hear about these stories. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, your client, isn't just some coworker that you're shooting the shit with. Like this is a, you're, you're a strategic clinician who is there to do a job. You're not there to just like talk about your feel. You know, it'd be like your client comes in and is like, oh, I'm going through a divorce and uh, you know, it's just really hard. My, my wife is, you know, she cheated on me, and she's she's just really insensitive. Oh, women! You know, I <laughs> I was married once, and she cheated on me. I mean, boy, uh, you know, it's like okay, if <laughs> it's okay that you have those feelings sure. as a therapist, but what are you gonna do? Frank? Not the time, yeah, not the time, you not know? the time. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's go to another patron. Elizabeth says. What do I need to do to not fall back into friendships that are not aligning with me? I have Mm -hmm. a few surface level fun type friendships, but I let a lot of things slide that don't support my values. I feel like I've outgrown their behavior that they are exhibiting, but I find it extremely difficult to, A, cut the relationship relationship off because I have fun with them, and B, it's difficult to have serious conversation with them because I don't think they would change or understand what I'm saying. I'm just afraid of them pushing back and then I will get rejected if I bring this up. What do you think, Bob?
1: Yeah, right. Um, Sounds like you are afraid to speak to them candidly about your experience of your relationship and you're either going to fall into keeping things status quo or ending relationships. But I don't know if you have enough data here to support the ending the relationship thing. And as scary as it might be, if you were in my DBT class, we would do the following. We would say, well, think about three, three, three different possible goals here um, and then prioritize them. The first one is, what's my objective? So what do I want the other person to do? How, how, what do I want them to know about me? What behavior do, I, do they do that I want them to change? And the second one is, how do I want them to feel about me as a result of going through this, um, having a conversation? So not how do I want them to see me in the big picture, but how do I want to see me um when our interaction when we talk about the thing when it's over how do i want them to view me and and then third how do i want to view myself when it's all said and done and go through those three kind of figure out what those three things are and then rank them one two three the idea is that you from from your centered place or your wise mind as they say in dbt land from your wise mind you can make a determination about which of those three is the most important to you and which is second and which is third. And the reason to do that is because if you have a habit, and it sounds from the email, it sounds like you have a habit of privileging relationships. In other words, putting um, um, a view of the other person's needs or wants ahead of your own, just sort of reflexively or automatically, then you're apt to, you know, um, make choices that um, you don't like in the long run or that you feel like, well, you know, so so it might be that self-respect is more important than, than, than the relationship, which doesn't mean that the relationship isn't necessarily important. It means that when push comes to shove, if you have to give up one, give up the one that's least important to you. I, I've done this many, many times over 20-some years of teaching DBT skills, and one of the things that I've discovered is that if people are willing to... Break a situation down into and figure out what their three different goals are: objective, relationship, and self self respect. Figure it out. They're often able to kind of distill for themselves in a simple way what they need or want to have happen, and it actually makes hairy things straightforward. Hmm. So that's cool. And then like, the second-
0: like you walk them through those steps, and they're like, "Okay, well, self respect is I it's." I can't respect myself and listen to them talk about this sort of thing. Yeah. And what are the other ones? Uh, My objective.
1: My objective is I want to be friends with them, but I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. I want them to stop this behavior, say. Yeah. Yeah. And And then 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 relationship is how do I want them to see me as a result of our conversation? So if I yell at them, they're going to see me a certain way. If I swear and they're going to see me a certain way. If I grovel, they're going to see me a certain way. Right. How do I want them to see me? And what do I have to do to get that? Hmm. Right. Well, I want them to feel respected, right? But I also want them to know that I'm serious. So I probably need to be firm and polite, right? Okay, great. And of those three, what's the most important? Well, looking at this situation. I really want them to knock this behavior off. Or do I really need to feel good about myself when it's all said and done, even if they don't knock the behavior off, right? Okay, well, at least I know that I turned over every stone. And Lots of times people need that. They need to know they turned over every stone before they can um, throw in the towel in a relationship. So, um, it could be that that's the thing that's most important, and then my behavior is going to be um influenced by first and foremost maintaining my self respect right or getting what I want um so I'm going to be straightforward and clear and you know and so, the second thing that seems really helpful is to rehearse it and what I found good rule of thumb is if you rehearse the thing five times, you're apt to really be able to carry it through even stuff that's scaring the hell out of you. Like, it's really scary. I can't imagine doing it. And I go through it, rehearse it five times. I'm like, oh, it's not, it's not that hard. I mean, I can do it. And then the third thing is write it down. Write down what you want to say and don't rely on memory. Because if you rely on memory when you're in an emotional situation, you won't be able to remember anything. So Conan O'Brien uses cue cards for his show. We can use cue cards, too. <laughs>
0: That'd be funny. Bring, like, a cue card guy. Yeah and, right. right. And, oh, standing over the shoulder. Right,
1: right, right. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, who's this guy with it? Don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah no, no. Just right here. Right yeah, yeah. Here, right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been there before where you have friends and they're uh, exhibiting like a belief that you're just like, I can't just let that go? Uh, like what?
1: Well, most recently I was... Um, playing golf with a group of people and several of them were people I don't know and I was sitting at after the round of golf we were sitting at a table and a picnic table and they were talking about police and they were saying how they were they called the police and the police actually came and harassed somebody and that was a good thing or whatever and I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm like I'm taking it in, and I'm thinking am I hearing what I'm hearing so I just said to them I was like, so you're telling me that You think it's good that you called the police who are your friends and that they, that they interact, they intervene in this way that was like, you know, and you think that's a good thing. And they said, yeah. And I looked at my, so they
0: were using their privilege of connection with police to To be hostile and unfair to other people.
1: Yeah, it was galling. So I'm like, well, I don't know them. I don't even know their names. I mean, they're friends of a friend of mine. And I don't like this. So I just looked at my friend and I said, it was really lovely spending the day here. Thank you so much for inviting me to play golf. I'll see you another time. And I just got up and left. Wait. So was it a clear message of
0: I don't like what this person just said?
1: It'd be hard to imagine that they wouldn't have picked that up. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Thanks. You don't do stuff like that. I rarely do stuff like that. But that voice
0: you just said, I've heard that before. The Wait, so am I hearing this right? Yeah, like I've heard that voice before, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: did they talk, or did your friend talk with you about?
1: no, I didn't say a word. Okay. I
0: wonder if he was embarrassed by their I mean, I know yeah. who you're talking I don't know the friends of the friends, but I know sure. who you're talking you know about who I'm talking about yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: I even know the day that this happened. Yes, you do um that's that's amazing. You didn't tell me about this no I didn't yeah it's it's been a highlight because I was hanging out with you later that day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you should have been like, oh, my God, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Da, da, da. So wait, t- tell me what was that they were saying. I want to drill down, because I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding
1: what they're even oh, saying. There was, oh, it was something. Oh, was I, it like a neighbor or something? Or I don't, somebody, let's see, what were they? I don't, I can't remember. Yeah. But but it was clearly using the cops as your personal like security detail, well, to like harass. your thugs, really your thugs, yeah, yeah, to 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 intimidate somebody, like your personal mafia or yeah. something, yeah, yeah, and the cops were happy to do it because they happened to be your friends, yeah. I, I was, and it wasn't something illegal. It was like no, no, no. It wasn't like oh, we're going to sell drugs or you know, no. It was clearly something just personal that they just didn't like. And so they used the cops as thugs. My God. And I can't remember the details. I
0: mean, uh, my God all the way around. Obviously, the friend of the friend, but also the cops. Yeah. 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 So you communicated, are you happy
1: with the way you communicated? yeah. I love it. Yeah. Totally polite, but self-respect comes first. Yeah. And I don't really care about how these guys see me because they're not friends of mine. They're not important to me. And I didn't want to alienate my friend. Yeah. And I didn't. But... I let everybody at that table know. God, it's, it's so weird. It's not okay with me.
0: I ha- my two stories that pop into my head as we're talking about this also yeah. involve cops. Really? Yeah. The first one was, again, a friend of a friend. Yeah. And I, we were out downtown Bellevue, and he was a cop, fr- this friend of a friend. And he was talking about... This, is, this was years ago. This would have been like seven, eight years ago, way before Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And he was... Somehow we got into it, and I thought I could reason with him about bias against black and brown people, you know, because he's a white guy in Auburn, cop in Auburn, Uh which has a lot of Native Americans as well, you know, because of the Muckle Shoot, And I was uh, under the assumption that he was a human being (laughs) and and understood that racism is a thing. and. And with within a pretty short amount of time. So at first, I remember I was just kind of like, "Well, I'm not going to back down." And we're sitting right across from each other in a booth. So there wasn't there was four of us sitting at a booth, and so it wasn't like I could just say, "Well, I'm going to drift off." You know, I'm 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 locked in, just sitting right across from the guy. Yeah. And my other the, my other friends were having a conversation, and I was having a conversation with him. And within about 15 minutes, I just kind of said, uh. Well, I think you're stupid, and I think you're, <laughs> and I think you're being racist, and I and I think that, I think that you're the problem. You know, again, this is way before Black Lives Matter. If it was after, I'm guessing he wouldn't have said what he said. Probably not. But, and I'm sure I said stupid things too, uh, because I'm I don't I'm not a police officer. I don't know all the different ins and outs. But mm-hmm. the general just – because what because I, I there was this shooting that happened in Yakima or somewhere out there, Wenatchee, where. This was I don't know like ten years ago, and there's 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 video footage of it, and I remember watching it shortly before I met up with him, and it's this guy who clearly is having some kind of mental illness episode, and he is walking around downtown, Yakima I think, and he's throwing rocks at cars, and they call the police, and he's just standing on this busy intersection, just like throwing rocks at cars, and the police show up, and they pull their guns. And he's still, and he starts walking away and he's unarmed uh-huh. and he's like in shorts and a t shirt. Uh-huh. I don't even know if he has shoes on. He's walking down the sidewalk and there, you know, there's like a dozen cops with their guns drawn. Wow. And instead of using a taser and instead of doing something else, and he's, there's no one around him, there's no other humans, you know, there's maybe a couple cars. The guy pick, you know, bends down to pick up another rock, you know, a small little rock. And they just gun him down and kill him. And I, so I present this to this cop that I'm talking to across from me at this booth. And I'm like, surely there's another option available. He's like, no. Uh, he's like, the cops did everything right. I'm like, gunning down someone who's unarmed, who just has like some rocks in their head. He's like, the rocks, you could kill someone with a rock. Oh well, yeah. You throw, a rock uh. at, you throw a rock at someone's head, you could kill someone. Yeah. And I'm like. He was like thirty yards from any other human yeah. and he is essentially vandalizing people. And he's not throwing rocks off of a freeway, you know, which I could understand maybe, because you could kill someone if yeah, you throw a rock. Dangerous. He was throwing rocks at cars that were going like ten miles an hour at a busy intersection in Yakima. So I can't remember the exact circumstances, but and, and maybe I'm wrong about the circumstances, but okay. his attitude was total, hundred percent unambiguous. It was completely just and the right thing to do to kill that man That's unbelievable. who was clearly having a mental health illness episode he wasn't someone who was out to hurt anyone yeah. you know it was there was something going on with him yeah, and yeah. a taser at least yeah right or i don't know a net i or, don't understand why cops don't have nets there's several of you it's probably not going to be too hard right to disarm yeah and then yeah pull tame. up pull up your britches and, you know, take a rock to the chest and tackle the guy. You know what I mean? Like, other countries, that's what they do. I, again, I don't know. I'm not a police officer. But we get into this. We're 15 minutes in. We're, we're By now, we're yelling at each other. Oh, yeah. And this goes on for 45 minutes. Wow. <laughs> 45 minutes. That's a long time. Long time. For somebody you don't know. Yeah. And, well, I kind of knew him from previous oh, okay. uh, interactions. And meanwhile, my other friends, who I'm actual friends with, are like... Kurt, can you just like cool it down? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> because I was bumping up against what Black Lives Matter had been bumping up against for decades. And and what Black Lives Matter uh, took years of yeah. advocacy to finally like wake America up to right. the problem. Right. I was bumping up against that. And I bumped up against it before, yeah. but not a lot. And the absurdity and the assumption and the privilege and the... The anti-human aspect of the attitude and the abuses and the justification, the internal that because that was what was bothering me was like I would be okay if he was like, well, it's kind of a nuanced situation. There was there was none of that. It was like, no, he was gunned down to completely justified, and if I was there, I would have shot him too. And there's and there's no there's no debate here. There's nothing we can talk about. It was. It is what it is, and you, non-police officers, need to understand that we're the professionals, and you need to listen to us. That it was that, that kind of attitude of like. Damn. So there's no discussion here, and it's like no, there's no discussion. He he deserved to die, and he sh- and he should have been died, and uh, a thousand other times, if it happens, he should be d- gunned down. Huh. A guy with some pebbles who isn't near any other human beings, who's clearly having some mental health issues. Uh, and a brown oh, so i haven't mentioned mexican american
1: oh okay sure.
0: and, yeah. you know so there's that yeah right. um oh so uh so elizabeth <laughs> patron elizabeth um what was the question uh, uh, what do i do so i have you know elizabeth saying i have friends who i feel like i've kind of grown out of oh, their behavior that's right that's right and I, i'm trying to imagine what it is maybe like Um, dating behavior, maybe, or racist attitudes. Oh, okay, great. Or something. Yeah. My other story is more akin to this story, uh, more relevant, which is, again, friends of friends, (laughs) police officers. Uh, So I have friends who are police officers and um, I'll hang out with them. And they're really good old friends of mine. And they have friends who are police officers also, and so sometimes it's it's a big crowd and we'll be hanging out and these police officers, uh Seattle cops by the way, mm. using the N word uh. and saying other like completely racist things.
1: Mm.
0: And I and this is recent, so I'm Really? Yeah, I'm a grown man and I'm podcaster yeah and i got stuff to say you do and i'm not gonna back down Nope. but i didn't say a word because i wasn't it wasn't my venue mm-hmm. you know if they were in my house obviously i would but i'm in i'm in a completely I, i'm the i'm the extra wheel you know what i mean like they get together all the time and i i'm this complete outsider in the situation Doesn't justify my wimpiness, but it does provide some context. And I'm listening to this happen, and I'm thinking, did I just hear what I thought I heard? Uh People using the N word? Uh, What is happening? Right? Like, can you remember the last time you heard someone using the N word, like in person and in a in a racist manner? No. Like, when was like just take a guess? When was the last time you heard someone say that? I. Jeez, uh I don't even know. Yeah, I, there's there's a possibility I've never heard someone. I mean, it I don't know about Pennsylvania, but in Seattle it, it's just not really a thing you hear very often. Oh, no, hear not that Seattleites aren't racist cuz they are, but they are. they're the other kind. But it's it's not it's just not something that is in the culture up here. Like it's just not a thing that people would use that word. People do, and I know people in Seattle will be like, "Oh my god, I hear it all the time."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah. Where I grew up in Sammamish, it just it just wasn't a thing, and so there's I can't remember a time other than this time recently where i and they were police officers Wow.
1: that's awful,
0: and they know they're they, see and the other thing is is they know they're being heard by me and they know I'm a therapist and a and a professor like they didn't they weren't ignorant of what I did, and they're also and also I was the only person of color in this whole group mm. and they also know I'm a person of color so do they do you think they were targeting you? Like they wanted you to know or hear? You know, I, there's an element of that possibility oh. where it was like some drunken hostility to this outsider who's kind of ruining their party a little bit. Because without me, I think it would have been worse. Because they knew I was there and they knew that yeah. I you know, they're not idiots. They're like, well, he probably as a professor in psychology he's probably not like hip with us using the n-word in this way i'm, I'm just going to take you yeah. but for them to do it like right in front of me but they're cops so they got to do what the hell they want right yeah but yeah. and it's just sickening and you know we know that there are some cops seattle cops who went to the who were part of the Jan- january 6th uh criminal act upon the capitol we do oh yeah
1: oh Good
0: Lord. Yeah, it's like a, there's a bunch of them. Really? Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of cops. Seattle, the priest, you know, Seattle police forces, there's hundreds of, so on average you're going to, you know, it's a bell
1: curve. Sure, sure, sure. So it's not unusual. No, but, I don't know why I'm saying what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: But there's also, I think, a fair amount of, um, I don't know what to call it, like old school traditional assholery that is perpetuated within the culture of certain police departments i don't know that for sure but anyway yeah um so you know elizabeth what i'll tell you is i i'm in the same position that that you are in you're in is like i'm not going to stand for this but i don't feel safe or like i have the power to say anything and i and if I just stand up and call them out, and I I don't know them well enough, but I'm pretty sure they just tell me to go to hell, and they'd say, "Get out of here! You're the extra. Leave! Like you're ruining our little racist pocket, you know." And uh, but I yeah I didn't I didn't do anything. What I did do is I just I'm just never hanging out with these people anymore. Yeah, right. Why would you? Yeah, <laughs> it's not fun. Yeah, I mean I'll still hang out with my friends yeah. who are in that group who. I've never heard them say anything like that, or at least recently. Mm. But those others, like, yeah, I I just, but, you
1: know, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Well, we don't know if Elizabeth is unsafe speaking her mind. It might be that it's really useful for her her self-respect to um, say something as she exits. We also, we can't tell from the email if the friends are workable. They might be workable. Um, and it might be, um, um, I, I like the idea of investigating that before you cut ties. Um, like, let's not presume that, A, it would be dangerous for you to use your voice. It may not be. Or that they would be um, uninfluenceable. Right. I mean, we we can't tell from, from, from. Right. I mean,
0: the way that she's emailing in, it seems like that's a possibility because these yeah. are
1: friends that she likes to hang out with. It does seem like a possibility, yeah. Yeah. So it might be true, in which case, then just cut ties If and hopeless relationships if they truly are hopeless and they, you know, why, like, this is like how you are. You're like, well, if I don't want to go, I'm not going. Yeah. So in rereading her
0: emo just now, so surface level, fun type relationships. So, I'm, so if I can relate to this, I would say, you know, friends I was friends with in college where it was sort of group based, where none of yeah. them I was really that connected to and we would just, as a crowd, yeah. we were friends, you know, there'd be one-on-one conversations, but it's mostly like a uh, surface fun stuff. Yeah. And, but I felt, you know, fairly close to all of them really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there were times when I, wh- I'd get older and I'd just be like, uh, I don't know if I like, I feel like I- I've sort of gone beyond this attitude or, and if I were you, Elizabeth, Based on what I'm thinking, you're in. I would absolutely, as Bob say, just have just just tell him. Just be like, "Hey, uh, I I value our friendship uh, for the most part, and I, I don't know how deep our relationship is, but at the same time, there are some things that I I just see you saying or doing that uh, it just kind of bugs me, and it makes it makes it hard for me to hang out. And I don't want to be a jerk face, but I, I'd love it if you just didn't do that, and or Changed your assumptions, or whatever that's underpinning this kind of attitude. It's right. nice, uh, but I like you, and I want to be friends with you. I, this is a great assertion, <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I go to these guys and say, "So I don't know you that well, but I kind of like hanging out with you." But you know, I think your complete uh, adherence to racism and using the N word is just not very cool. I, there was almost God, you know, I, th- there was almost like this get this childhood this child, and they were older than me yeah. for the record yeah. uh, there was this childish giddiness about using the n-word it was almost like I, I got the impression that when they're at work among people that they don't know they can't they can't say it but then now that they're at this fun activity <laughs> and they're among like trusted friends mm-hmm. it was this badge of or this license of we're letting our hair down. Yeah. And so now we can, now we can just say whatever we want. And, Mm. you know, you and I will do that sometimes, right? We'll be with each other or with others. And we have license to uh, express ourselves in ways that we wouldn't be able to, like on the podcast, for example. Yeah. But it wouldn't be in that direction. It would just be more like, I don't know, just more crude or maybe a little vulgar or something. Yeah but not racist but not right and and i just thought really that it's, it's i find it bizarre that l- racist I- individuals are so obsessed with the n word do you know what i mean mhm whereas for me it just i just doesn't come up <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know right uh, uh, i yeah i'm saying i think that they they have an itch that can only be scratched by saying that word do you know what i mean
1: right what like
0: what does that do like that's that's functional it's like some weird uh
1: collective tick that they have yeah (laughs) What, what do you think it is though like like if i have restless leg syndrome my leg wants to move and then i get relief i wonder what they're getting from you know, tossing that well. Around. Well, that's a good question. I, I think I have
0: a tentative answer, which is they have a, a a like a big, gross, disgusting. You know, like when a a grape falls on in your living room and kind of. Drifts into the corner and it picks up all that dirt <laughs> yeah. and and lint and you pick it up and you're just like oh I mean it turns a uh, like a juicy sweet grape into like the most disgusting ball of fuzz yeah. you know then there's no amount of cleaning you're gonna give to that yeah. grape and eat it like mm. it is like it's like oh inside of them is that in the form of racism the and disgusting. and and white supremacy yeah. there's a ball of just disgusting notions and insecurities frankly mm. of i am white and i am superior and i am better i'm smarter i'm more refined i'm more I, i'm i am the chosen you know and it's weird be, to think that way but you know there's a fair amount of white people who think that oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. society taught us taught sure, us that sort sure, of thing
1: sure. uh,
0: you know as a related thing um i remember when i was a kid i was i don't know like 7 years old and I, I remember, I remember the moment I'm, I'm lying in bed trying to fall asleep and I'm reviewing all of the jobs of the world. And I'm like the best basketball player is guy, the best doctor, is guy, the best politician man, best football player, man, even the best cook, you know, women are in the, cause I'm just absorbing uh-huh. gender. Women are in the kitchen, but the best cook. Is a man. Mm-hmm. Men are better than women at
1: everything. Mm.
0: You know, I'm seven years old. No one's talking to me about Mm-mm. sexism or anything, Mm-mm. and I'm like, huh. And I'm a, I'm a boy. I'm a male, so I am part of the superior gender. I remember, I remember at seven, just sort of piecing this together because that's what society was telling me and that's what society was presenting for me sure i didn't understand the sexist and patriarchy underpinnings that make it so that as a woman you can't rise to the level of you were seven of best chef right yeah well there's a lot of white guys walking around oh, going right we ruled the world. We we were the one who colonized. We invented computers. We invented atomic bombs. <laughs> we we went to space. We own all of the you know all the Forbes five hundred. Most of them white guys. Mm-hmm. I am superior, mm-hmm. but I'm being told by Seattleites that I can't think that way. And there's this tension inside of them. This tension of like. But I am superior, hmm. and I know, and not only I'm superior, but they are inferior, I know they're inferior, I know they have no class, I know they're stupid, I know they make bad choices because of their race, like this is how they think mm. but I can't say that because I'd get in trouble, but I know it to be true, oh, and now that I'm with my you know fellow comrades, sure, sure, sure. we can all agree that they are inferior Mm. and that they have no class and that they are uneducated and that, you know, I could say all the stereotypes, but I won't because of triggering, but Mm -hmm. you know, they, you know, black men are blah, blah, blah. Black women are blah, blah, blah. And, and saying the N word, it feels like I'm finally able to itch the itch that I'm walking around all day with, but I can't, Itch it because my wife doesn't even agree with what I'm saying, but I'm with my fellow white supremacists, and now I can do it. <laughs> and of course, this has been happening in America for hundreds of years. Sure, hence the reason why they put hoods on and would meet in the middle of the night in the woods because they couldn't they couldn't express their white supremacy in in polite society. Hmm. You know, as easily as they could as when they're in the woods. Sure, you sure. know. Wow,
1: and we still live there. We still, oh live. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we do. Yeah, we we all need a hobby. <laughs> what do you mean? Like like spending my time thinking in these ways just sounds. Yeah, it sounds yucky. I'm I'm I don't even like talking about this because I'm a white guy and I'm probably gonna. I'm not going to hit the right level of. Um, strike the right chord. Mm. So I think I kind of want to just stop talking about it. <laughs> Not because I don't think it's important. I think it's really important. I don't think that I have anything to add that is all that terribly useful.
0: Uh, well, I know you as a white man who mm-hmm. would never think this way. Uh, so I'll say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is what we are as people of color bumping up against in subtle ways all the time. And then when I see that behind the scene, you know, I was let into the the star chamber. You know, I was let into the yeah, right. the secret club. Uh-huh. And then I heard the police, the white and these aren't just like run of the mill police officers, these are like high ups. Really? Oh yeah. I, I can't even I can't even say the you know, the ranks because it might yeah, like identify. Yeah, right, right, we're true. talking like High up, high up in the hierarchy. hell do you know? What doesn't matter. Yeah. Like when they when they ask for comments from like, police officer, they are the one that they they're on TV. You know what I mean? These these are people that represent the voice of the police officers. Oh, that's you know? terrible. And and uh, to be let in as a person of color. Yeah. And to hear this and go, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. We're. That's. You know. Because so much of yeah. it is is subtle. You know, profiling. It's like, was I profiled? You know, w- was I or am I just paranoid? You mean you walking into that house, say, and and listening to these guys? No. Like when I was younger, I'd get pulled over a lot. Oh, that. Yeah. And yeah. I would say, am I being profiled? <laughs> right. Or. Is it not that, and you know, partic- I, and I'm pretty light skinned, so it, it's maybe less of a thing, but if, you know, of course, if you're black, you, was I pulled over cause of profiling or mm-hmm. was I just unlucky and, mm-hmm. and then you hear about this and you're like, oh no, I, I was being profiled. <laughs> yeah. Right. Did they shoot because they were just doing their job or did they shoot because I'm a brown person? Or that person was brown. You know, it's hard to know. You can't. You can't get inside someone's mind until you go behind closed doors and you hear them talking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the lines. Uh, that's unambiguous. Yeah. Racism there. Wow. That you don't need to know anymore beyond nah. that. You know. Like, of course, when you see a black person, when you arrive on the scene, I'm just going to take a guess and say that you're not unbot That you're not unbiased when you approach those people
1: <laughs> just taking a guess right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man and you know in
0: relation to what we we're talking about earlier in terms of anger it's like black lives matter is a expression of anger yeah and a justice just one and mm-hmm. an understandable one and one that's been going on for a long time you know black lives matter didn't invent the anger against oppression and police brutality against bipoc people that's no. been going on for a long time black lives matter is just the most recent and powerful iteration of it and and you know bless them for you know because i don't know if you remember this but when black lives matter first emerged into you know the internet yeah i don't know like six or seven years ago it was pretty much generally ridiculed it was even by liberals. I would mm-hmm. I would find that pretty much everyone was saying, "Oh come on, mm-hmm. like let it go," mm-hmm. or stop cutting off traffic, or you know, because they were protesting. They were trying to gain. You know, that's what you do it, when 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 the system won't listen to you. You have to grind the system to a halt in order for people to listen. When you do all the normal things like asking for help or writing articles or saying hey we need to do something or trying to vote people in the office and nothing changes for decades and decades then yeah you you have to throw something at a building you have to stop traffic you have to uh interrupt someone at a a, you know because um i don't don't remember this but but, like this would have been maybe eight years ago when uh bernie sanders was in seattle and black i think it was seattle and black lives matter people interrupted him at a speech do you remember this Mm -mm. oh anyway Anyway, so Elizabeth, I don't know what to do. Yeah, uh, I like Bob's advice of of just you know if if you value the the friendship, just say hey, you know I like you, but uh, I I don't want to I don't want you to do this anymore.
1: Also, self respect. If you value your self respect and that would help, then yeah, yeah, rehearse
0: and get a cue card, friend. Yes, because you deserve it.